0: Um, it's, it's always um, yeah, a joy, a privilege to be able to worship together. Uh, if you haven't been here for a while, I want to especially welcome you here. Um, if you're new, I want to say thank you for coming and, and being a part of the church and bringing the church into our sanctuary here. Uh, we're right thick in the middle of uh, summertime right now, and one of the things that defines summer, uh, at least in America, one of the things that defines summer is uh, it's a, a summertime is a time where all kinds of blockbuster movies come out. Right? Anyone seen any movies this summer, some of us? I woke up this morning to see um, my Facebook wall, not wall, but update just littered with all these people who saw this movie called Inception. Anyone seen Inception? Oh wow, wow, bunch of y'all. Um, there's a, been a bunch of cool movies that have come out this summer. Uh, I guess Inception being one of them. Toy Story 3, uh, that was a really good one. Um, Shrek. I don't know if anyone uh, actually saw that, but I know that was uh, a lot of fanfare. Night and Day and um, Grown Ups and all kinds of other uh, blockbuster movies have come out. And um, Don't know how many of these you've seen, but um, summertime is often a good time to uh, watch movies because students are out of school and people have got a little bit more time. As we've been looking into the book of Ecclesiastes, one of the things that uh, the teacher has done is done a lot of reflections on life. And a lot of movies that we watch are reflections on life. But as we look into, we're going to look into Ecclesiastes chapter 9 today. And as we read this passage, the teacher who has done a lot of research on the things under the sun in this life. Is it's almost like he's going to tell us if your life was a movie, let me tell you what your life movie is going to be like. And he generalizes this for all people, and I find this to be very true as well. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9, we're going to read verses 1 through 12. As we get there, remember the last couple chapters, he's been wrestling with certain issues in life that have been very difficult for him. As he talks about injustice, he talks about oppression, as he talks about the fact that the righteous people get treated like the wicked sometimes, and the wicked get treated like the righteous. Bad things happen to good people, and good things happen to bad people, and he's, he's, he's pondering all of these things and trying to find meaning by looking into and understanding the big picture that there's a God who made these things. Uh, this world and who holds it uh, in his hands. And and so he's, he's thinking about these things. And this is where we pick up in chapter nine, verse one. He says, so I reflected on all this and concluded that the righteous and the wise and what they do are in God's hands, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. He's saying, I reflected on all of these things that we've been talking about. And the fact that A lot of times death comes before seemingly a person's time. I reflected on the fact that there's all kinds of wickedness and all kinds of oppression where the powerful oppress the weak and and the weak end up uh, just getting a a, a raw deal and getting a, a bum hand in life. And he's reflecting on all these things. And here's what his conclusion is, that the righteous and the wise are still in the hands of God as well as the things that they do. Yeah, the righteous and the wise, even though a lot of times they, it seems like they're getting a raw deal, it seems like they're getting uh, things that they don't deserve in life, saying everything that comes to the righteous and the wise, everything that is dealt to them has been dealt by the altogether good hand of God, and we can trust that. We can trust that. That's what he's saying. When um, you know, we finish feeding our baby Manny after one of the meals, she has to eat these vitamins to kind of uh, give her extra... Uh, health benefits and the vitamins uh, are really uh, don't taste good to her and so they kind of taste like um, there's this Korean medicine I don't know if you're if you're Korean if your parents have ever made this or your mom ever made it. it's made out of like tree bark and all kinds of like crazy natural things and it's like brown and it just smells awful it's supposed to be healthy for you and so this is what to me this is what it smells like and so every uh, every night after Manny eats we have to, to to squirt this thing about like this much into her mouth And the first time she ate it, she she didn't know what it was, and so she opened her mouth. But every time after that, it's been really nasty for her. But after a couple weeks, three weeks, four weeks of doing this, she understands that this is her routine and she needs to do this. And so what she does when Olivia puts it in her mouth, she closes her eyes really tight and she opens up her mouth and she lets her squirt it into her mouth. She says, I don't like what I'm eating, but I trust the hand that gives it to me. And so the teacher in Ecclesiastes is saying the same thing is true with the righteous and the wise those who are seeking to follow after the way of God we don't always like what we get but we trust the one who's giving it to us because our lives are in the hand of God and nothing that comes to us has not passed through the hand of God first it says they're in God's hands and when we talk about being in God's hands throughout scripture it has several connotations when someone is is in God's hand it's a symbol of love it's a symbol of security it's a symbol of victory as when a boxer gets their hand lifted up by the referee. These are the pictures that the teacher is giving of the righteous and the wise. And even though things don't always go their way, he's saying you are still in the hand of God. But he then goes on to say, but no man knows whether love or hate awaits him. See, the the difficulty of your life or the ease of your life is not an indication of how God sees you. That's what the teacher is saying. He's saying the healthy and the wealthy are not always the righteous and the wise. The ones who seem blessed in the eyes of the world are not always the ones who have found the most favor with God. He said, you could be a righteous, wise follower of Jesus Christ, and yet you don't know whether love or or, or hate awaits you. You don't know whether good or bad awaits your life. It's one of the misunderstandings in the gospel to think that because I'm a child of God, my life will be protected from harm the teacher, as well as other places throughout scripture, make this crystal clear that that's not the case. If it were the case that only the only blessed people were the righteous and the only cursed people were the unrighteous, then the fact would be that people like Job, people like John the Baptist, people like Paul, people like Jesus would have been living lives that are unpleasing to God and nothing could be further from the truth. And so the teacher is saying, yeah, we get difficult things in life, both the righteous and the unrighteous, but the fact that you have a difficult life is not an indication that God's hand has been removed from your life. And then he goes on in verses 2, we'll read uh, verses 2 through 12. It says, all share a common destiny, the righteous and the wicked, the good and the bad, the clean and the unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who do not. As it is with the good man, so with the sinner. As it is with those who take oaths, so with those who are afraid to take them. This is the evil in everything that happens under the sun the same destiny overtakes all. The heart of men moreover are full of evil, and there's madness in their hearts while they live, and afterward they join the dead. Anyone who's among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better off than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. They have no further reward, and even the memory of them is forgotten. Their love, their hate, and their jealousy have long since vanished. Never again will they have a part in anything that happens under the sun. Go, eat your food with gladness, and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Enjoy life with your wife, whom you love, all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you under the sun, all your meaningless days. For this is your lot in life, and in your toilsome labor under the sun." Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there's neither working, nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong. Nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned. But time and chance happen to them all. Moreover, no man knows when his hour will come. As fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare, so men are trapped by evil times. That fall unexpectedly upon them. This is God's word. As we look into these verses, the teacher we can kind of imagine him saying, "If your life were to be a movie, let me tell you what your movie would be like." Hey, think about the movie of your life. If we if we were to do a movie of um, Mr. Charlie Lee, he'd be played by uh, none other than Steven Seagal, right? So Steven Seagal would be Charlie. If we We're to do a biographical movie about Daniel Yu, then President Obama would play Daniel. I don't know who would play Yu in this movie, but the teacher's saying three things that are clear here. When it comes to the movie of your life, and here's the first thing. The ending of your movie is very predictable. The end of your movie is very predictable. I enjoy movies where the ending is unpredictable, don't you, right? Movies that just like, at the end of the movie, you're like, no way, did that just happen? Or how in the world did all that come out of all that? Movies like The Usual Suspects, I think one of the greatest movies of all time. Just this crazy movie has got you going, and then at the end, they just kind of pull out the rug from underneath, and you're like, holy smoke. Or, um, and not a lot of people like this one, but I like the movie called The Village. You ever see that? <laughs> the, the, the point is the, the ending was unpredictable, and I thought it was really cool. Uh, recently, a few of us got together and we watched, uh, what, was that, what was that movie? Shutter Island, Shutter Island. I'm like, man, that was a pretty cool one. It's like at the end, you're like, hold up, we need to talk. What was, it? What, was, what was all that about? These movies with unpredictable endings that just just get you saying, wow, what happened? The teacher in Ecclesiastes says, your movie's not like that. Your movie is not an unpredictable ending. I think every single one of us, our stories are the same. The end of the movie, you and every other character in your story is going to die. He says it in verse 2, all share a common destiny. The Righteous and the wicked, good and bad, clean and unclean, those who offer sacrifices and those who don't. Good and the sinner, those who take oaths and those who are afraid to take them. said every single one of us, the movie of our lives is going to end the exact same way. We're all going to die. And the only thing we don't know is how long our movie is going to be. Very interesting, isn't it? That all of our movies are going to end the same way. And if you've been tracking with us the last couple, three weeks, the teacher's been talking a lot about this, hasn't he? It seems almost like he's got this morbid fascination with death. This preoccupation with the grave and the fact that life is short and we're going to die. And it's like, all right, enough already. But the people in the surrounding cultures that the teacher was writing to needed to understand this because they did everything they could to ignore the reality and to deny the finality of death. People in the Egyptian culture, they, in, in the, not only the Egyptian, but a lot of surrounding cultures believed, even some people in the Israelite culture believed that if someone died, you could still talk to them. And the point of the teacher is you can't. Because the movie ends the same way. It's dead and it's over. You can't do undo. You can't do restart. You can't control Z, this action, because it's, it's, it's done. It's over. See ya. Wouldn't want to be ya. When it's over, that's it. Some people in the Egyptian culture, like I was talking about, they would bury the Pharaoh not only with gold so that Pharaoh could enter into the, into the next world with gold, but they would bury living concubines, and living servants to tend for the Pharaoh, so that when the Pharaoh entered into this next world that they believed in, the Pharaoh would have all of these pleasures and all of these delights to go along with him. See, the people of Israel were living surrounded by cultures that denied the reality and the finality of death, and if we're honest with ourselves and with our culture, we live in a culture that's very much the same. We do as much as we can to ignore death, to push it away, to delay it, to deny it. There was a, a bedtime prayer that children would pray. I don't know if they pray it these days, um, not as much as they used to, but most children growing up in the 50s and 60s would recite this prayer when they would go to bed. They would say, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep it. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Why did they pray that prayer? Because somewhere along the line, Somebody wanted children to know that your life is not going to be forever. That there is a beginning and there is an end to it. That you're not going to live forever and ever and ever. Here's how another author put it. He said, when we grow up, when we were like in, in, not, in the 50s and 60s, maybe even in the 70s, if you grew up in those time periods, you ask, where did babies come from? And they would say, well, this stork came and they delivered this baby to your house, right? Right? They would talk about things like that, but when it came to when it came to death, when it came to death, they would be constant. Like I remember the time when my grandmother was passing away in a hospital. I remember being there at her deathbed, singing Korean hymns with my family when I was like four or five years old. I remember seeing these things and being so uh, accustomed to to being around that that it was it was not it was not abnormal to me. But t- today, these days. When it comes to where do babies come from, there's so much knowledge and so much information. I, heard, uh, I read a New York Times article online last week that said they're beginning to teach sex education in, in New York to uh, elementary school kids starting in, in first grade now. Right? First grade. That at that age, they're beginning to learn where babies come from. But you, uh, you talk about death now, and they're like grandma sleeping in a garden surrounded with flowers. This is a culture that tries to deny and push away the reality of death, and the teacher is saying we can't do that. And we can't do that because we don't begin living until we understand that our days are numbered and the end of our stories are all the same. Why is it that we deny death? Why is it that we ignore it? Why is it that we try and and do away with it so much? He says in verse 3, this is the evil in everything that happens under the sun. Same destiny overtakes us all. He's saying because deep in our hearts we understand that death is evil. It's not a normal part of life like birth and growth because death is an aberration. And every time we get towards death, we realize that this is not part of how this world was created to be. We know that this is abnormal. We know that this is wrong. And so there's something about it that pushes ourselves away from it and says, I don't want to deal with this reality. I don't want to deal with this fact because there's something not right. There's something deeply flawed about the universe that we live in if this is the end of all of our stories. And so this is how he talks. And then he says in verse four, anyone who's among the living has hope. Even a live dog is better than a dead lion. And he goes on to say, basically, because they have consciousness. Saying, when you're dead, you're dead. That's it. That's it. There's no more to the story. Under the sun, that's all there is. He says, anyone, even a live dog is better than a dead lion. To understand this a little bit more, we have to understand that dogs in those days were uh, not domesticated, they were not house pets, they were despicable little scavengers. And so they were kind of like today, they'd be a common rat. Man, we don't like rats, do we? I, I, I don't know if I have mentioned this before, but when I used to live in, in the D.C. area, there was uh, in uh, this one area of Chinatown, there's this back alley, there's this big Chinese restaurant, and they would dump all of their leftover food at the end of the night into this alley, into this uh, trash dump. And they found, the Washington Post said this, they found rats the size of little dogs. Because they would go, out know this is gross, but they would go into the alley and they would scavenge and eat this Chinese food. And they would eat all this Chinese food and they would get bloated, they would get huge, and they would run around like little dogs and they're like, what are those things? They found out that they were rats. He's saying, it's better to be a living one of those than to be the dead king of the jungle. Better to be alive, despicable, disgusted, scavenging rat than to be a dead lion. Because when you die, the teacher is saying, that's it. That's all there is to it. Because the end of your story is very predictable. Every single one of us are going to come to the same end. And it's not very exciting. We're all going to die, you and every other character in your story. That's the first thing. The second thing that he says, we're going to skip to the last two verses. The second thing that he says is even though that's predictable, he says the actual movie, the movie itself, is very unpredictable. If your life is a movie, whatever ethnicity you are, your movie is like a Korean drama. Right? It's a Korean drama. So unpredictable with all these plot twists and turns. It's like this guy and girl are in love with each other, but the problem is they're related to each other, right? And they grow up in love, but then something happens. She gets really sick, and she has to have a blood transfusion, so she's at the hospital. And while she's at the hospital, something, something crazy happens. Her biological parents realize, oh my gosh, she's not our biological daughter. You see, what ended up happening was at that hospital the day she was born, two people were born at the same time, and they got switched. And so her, her real biological daughter turns out to be that girl's classmate and rival in life oh my goodness, this is crazy. And so their their actual daughter though, what happened was she got raised by this crazy mean mommy and this abusive brother. And so she hated this other girl. And they they, like all mad at each other. But the girl who was sick, she's got such a kind, pure, tender heart. And so when she gets better, she says, I'll switch parents with you and I'll go back to mean mommy and you get the good parents. And so They grow up together, they go to America and live, and nine years later, they come back, and there's this crazy story of all these plot twists and turns. That's your life. You can't predict it. You don't know what's coming next. In verse 11, he says, I've seen something else under the sun. The race is not to the swift or the battle to the strong, nor does food come to the wise or wealth to the brilliant or favor to the learned, but time and chance happen to them all. And look, everything that you, you, you lean on your natural gifts, again, he says the same thing he said. He says, you cannot control your destiny. You think that because you've got this, it's going to end up like this. Because you're the fastest, you're going to win the race. Or because you're the strongest, you're going to win the battle. Saying, because you, you think you've got these natural gifts that God has given to you, you think you can determine how you're going to live. He says, it's not like that. When I was in, in elementary school, I, I remember, I, I remember, uh, One day we had, I don't know exactly what grade it was, but uh, it was a day to do the 50-yard dash. And one of my friends, his name was Timothy Walker, he was really fast. But that day, I don't know why, that day he wore jeans to school. And so when we did the 50-yard dash, I ended up being the fastest one in the class. I won the race and I was so excited. And Tim was mad at me. He was like, well you know that if I wasn't wearing jeans, I would have beat you, right? And I kept saying, no, 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 I kept denying it. And I, I said, well, I, I won today. He's like, no, I, if, if, you, if I were to take off my jeans and I were to run a normal race, I would have beat you, right? right? And he kept, he kept following me around saying, right, right? And I was like, I don't He was right. And so is a teacher that the race doesn't always go to the swift. You watch the Olympics, how many times has the fastest won? Not one, because they got tripped up or because they got a bad start, or because they pulled a the hamstring, or whatever it might be. The race doesn't always go to the swift, nor the, does the battle, go to the, the battle go to the strong. How many times has David beat Goliath? Well, not all the time, but oftentimes, Goliath doesn't always win. The strongest don't always win the battle. Sometimes they get outsmarted. saying life is very unpredictable. You don't know what's going to happen. You can try and control your life all you want, but there comes a point in time where you realize that I can't control my days. I'm not in control. He says at the end of verse 11, he says, time and chance happen to them all. Literally what time and chance is saying, he's talking about accidents. Accidents happen to them all, to all of us, and they're unpredictable. That's why they're called accidents. Every year our Graduating class in youth ministry goes on a senior class retreat. Spend some last time together to talk about expectations of college and for uh, some of the teachers and pastors and leaders to share what our experience of college was like. And uh, several years back, we took our senior class, graduating class, up to Atlanta for a class trip, and we were there and just having a good time. But the hotel that we stayed at uh, was right next door to a Bally fitness center. And so they gave us access to go to Bally's to use their gym and to swim and all that stuff. And so uh, we went to, to Bally's a couple of times. And one night we were leaving Bally's and I was driving this big ice cream truck church van and I, I hit this car. And I was like, oh my goodness. Like, not a good way uh, to end our senior class retreat. I hit this car and I was like, oh my goodness. It was like a really nice car. I forget what it was, but um, it wasn't, Cheap car, like you know, cheap, but uh, pretty good car. And so I remember being like, "Oh my goodness, I'm gonna be in big trouble." So I, I called church. I called our our senior pastor, and I said, "Hey, pastor." Um, he said, "How are things going?" I said, "It's going well up until a few minutes ago when I, I hit a car with our church van, and I was like, I don't know, uh, I don't know what I should what I should do right now." And he's like, "David, relax. You know, it's accident." Right. Accidents happen all the time. That's why we have insurance. And so, uh, yeah, I was I was highly comforted by that. And then he said, uh, he said, uh, "Don't worry about it. Have fun. Rock the house." <laughs> so, I said, "Okay, everything makes sense until the rock the house part. I didn't understand what that meant, but I understood what he was saying. He's saying accidents happen, right? Accidents happen. That's why we have insurance." So the teacher says, "Accidents happen." to all of us. And the hardest thing about them, it says in verse 12, moreover, no man knows when his hour will come as fish are caught in a cruel net or birds are taken in a snare. So men are trapped by evil times that fall unexpectedly upon them. Think the thing about accidents and the thing about life is that unexpectedly these things happen. Unexpectedly these things come to us. Unexpected moments that Change the way we live and that shaped the way we live life. He's saying not only is death certain, but it's sudden, and many times it's unexpected. Look, the end of your life is very predictable, but the story of your life, the movie of your life, the actual movie is very unpredictable. So what do we do in light of all of these things, in light of these two Huge realities, the unignorable fact that we die and the reality that life is so important. What do we do with all these things? The last thing that the teacher says in verses 7 through 10, in light of this, he says, enjoy the show. Several times in Ecclesiastes, in the first nine chapters, he's talked about this idea of in light of these things about life, in light of these things that are true, He tells us to enjoy life. He said that about six or seven times, but never does he say it as forcefully or as specifically as he does it here. Never does he string together commands as he does here. In fact, five commands in a row, one right after the other, he strings together saying, enjoy life. And he commands us in an imperative fashion, enjoy the life you've been given in light of the fact that you're all going to die, in light of the fact that you don't know what today or tomorrow holds. You've got to enjoy life because it's a gift that God has given to you. And then he gives five ways that we can do that. The first thing he says in verse seven, he says, go. And then in, in the actual language in the original language this is a command in and of itself. He says go in opposed to sit, in opposed to stand there, in opposed as opposed to, to just lying down and doing nothing, being lazy. He says get up and go. Live with a renewed sense of urgency. Some of us talk so much like we need to live with urgency. They say you, you don't do anything about it. He says go. Live, get up and move and embrace the life that God has given to you. Don't waste your time in laziness. Don't waste your time in things that you regret doing. Get up, live and go. Don't just sit there. Don't just stand there. Go. Be the woman, be the man that God's calling you to be and live and enjoy. But don't just sit there, get up and move. Go, he says. The second thing he says Eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. The second thing that he tells us to do is to eat and to enjoy what we eat. Sometimes we have this sense, like the ascetics of old have this, this, this view that all the things of this life, the pleasures of life, must be abandoned, must be forsaken, must be completely weaned out of our lives. The teacher and other places in Scripture, Jesus himself would say the same thing. He says it's the complete opposite. The gift of God that he's given to you, of food and drink, enjoy that. Eat well. Eat good food. Enjoy it. Don't feed yourself junk food all of the time. But eat and enjoy the things that God has given to you. Don't just gorge yourself with food and do it for the fact that I need to be healthy, I need to be strong, or I need to have strength to do my work. But he says, enjoy that food, slow down so that you can savor. You're not like the ancient Israelites who only had manna and quail, but God gave you different foods to enjoy and different tastes to enjoy. Once I went to a Korean restaurant and I was eating my food and there was this um, Latino couple that was eating uh, at the booth next to me. And the Korean waitress, the Korean server came, and she's like, have you ever eaten Korean food before? And they said, well, we have. And she's like, do you know the philosophy behind it or the psychology behind it? And they were like, no. And I was like, no, I haven't. So I leaned in to listen. And she brought out all of these um, kind of like Foods that you eat with your food in Korean is called panchan. She brought all this stuff out, and she's beginning to explain the way that Koreans eat. i had no—I I don't know if she's making this up, but it's fascinating to me. She said the way that this is arranged is that each of these foods meets a it hits a different taste bud on your tongue. This thing is sweet, this thing is salty, this thing is sour, this thing is spicy, this thing is bitter, and the way that we're supposed to eat, the Korean people eat, is that they enjoy all of these different tastes and it causes an explosion of party and, and sensory delight in your mouth. And I was like, I never knew that. I just ate the, I just ate the meat and the kimchi there. But just, just explaining that, I was like, wow, it's such a good thing that God gave us the ability to enjoy food. Sometimes we have this view that religion has to be gloomy, and that's what Jesus condemned the Pharisees for. They said, Jesus, here you come eating and drinking and hanging out with all these people. And Jesus likened, he wedded spirituality to joy, not to gloom. Granted, Jesus wasn't laughing the laughter of fools, as PG talked about a few weeks back, but he was laughing in the joy and the enjoyment of the gift that God had given to him. But he says, enjoy it. Enjoy life, enjoy food, enjoy drink. It's a blessing. And then he says in verse eight, always be clothed in white and always anoint your head with oil. There are a lot of different connotations that white clothing and oil have in those days. But one of the things that it, that is talking about is to wear bright clothes. And when you anoint your head with oil in this context, he's saying celebrate life. When you anoint your head with oil, amongst the many things it means in this context, most likely what it means is it's anointing your your head with oil like in a celebration. Like when a basketball team or a baseball team wins a championship, they pour champagne over themselves. The teacher is saying, this is how we ought to live. Live in celebration. Celebrate the moments of life. Celebrate, whether it be birthdays or graduations or or just the, the everyday, celebrate life. Give thanks to God for all of these things that you've been given. Celebrate the beauty and the wonder of the life God has given to you. Be the most interesting man in the world. Be the old spice dude. Enjoy life. Celebrate. And the fourth thing he says, verse 9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love all the days of this meaningless life that God has given you. Enjoy life with your wife and then he reminds you Not just enjoy life with your wife, but he says, whom you love. Remember, you love her. Act like you love her. Remember why you got married. And if you're not married, he's talking about the gift of companionship, of friendship. The most lonely person he talked about in chapter 4 is a person who's, I'm sorry, the most sad person is a person who's all alone, who has no friends to go through life with. Enjoy the gift of companionship. Don't be ships passing in the night. Don't be ping pong balls and pool table balls that just bounce, always being surrounded but never really connecting. Enjoy life with your wife, with your friend, with your spouse, with your neighbors, with your church members. Enjoy it with them. And then lastly, verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. For in the grave where you're going, there's neither working nor planning, nor knowledge, nor wisdom. He says work. Whether this is work in your vocation or work in doing good, he says whatever your hand finds to do, he's talking about opportunity. Whenever opportunity knocks, embrace it. It's like the famous person, famous quote that says, I shall not pass this way but once. And whatever good I can do, I will do it because I won't go this way again. This, if there is good to be done in someone's life, then do it. Because the day is coming, you don't know when it is, but it is certain when you will no longer breathe the breath of life in this earth. It says, get up and do these things. Enjoy the show. This is your life. This is your life. And what makes it all the more imperative that we enjoy it is because these things all are a gift that God has given to his people. By common grace, everyone has these things, and when we don't enjoy what God has given to us, we dishonor the one who gave it to us. When we don't enjoy the gift, we don't honor the giver. You ever uh, have an experience where you gave a gift to somebody and um, you know it was a one-of-a-kind thing? And then the next year you go to A Christmas gift exchange or something and they've rewrapped your gift, something like that. You thought, wow, this is the perfect gift for them. And when they don't enjoy the gift, and it doesn't honor the giver. On the other hand, when you enjoy the gift, it brings such pleasure to the one who gave. This is why the apostle Paul says it's more blessed to give than to receive. I remember uh, back in 2006 when Olivia and I were dating and it was the day for us to get engaged. We went to Epcot and had this like real fun day. And um, I, I had asked her, where's the one place in this world you want to go? And she said, Greece. I said, name another place. She said, Italy. I said, great. Okay, there's Italy at Epcot. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I said, we may never go <laughs> to Italy, but uh, let's go to Italy today. So we went there and then the fireworks were going off. It was really cool. And I busted out this, this ring that I had saved up for, and I gave it to her. And to see the delight on her face, the enjoyment of the gift that I had given to her, that I had picked out especially for her and said, this is for you. And to see her enjoying it and to see her delighting, and it wasn't, it wasn't a huge rock. It wasn't a great big thing. It wasn't, I mean, but it was specifically chosen for her. And then to see her talking with her friends and enjoying in what I get, that brought so much joy to me. I think in that kind of an instance, in that circumstance, I think the happiest person is not the girl. I think it's always the guy. It is better to give. There's a delight in us when the other person enjoys the gift that we have given to them. How much can we delight in the gifts that God has given to us so that he would receive the pleasure, that he would receive the blessing, that he would receive the honor, that he would receive the joy. You see, when the teacher talks about it, especially in verse 9, it's just like, enjoy it, but life still stings. In, in verse 9, enjoy life with your wife whom you love. All the days of this meaningless life God's given you, all your meaningless days, <laughs> for this is your lot. It's almost like he's like, enjoy it because that's the best you can do. The reality is it's the best that some can do. Because if you remember in the garden, God gave all of these things as a precious gift to his people a wife to enjoy, food to enjoy, work to enjoy. But all of these things have become distorted so that instead of, oh my goodness, this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, what is it? It's, she made me sin. And we begin blaming each other, pointing fingers, begin manipulating each other. Adam, eat this, we can be like God. Eat this, look what, what have you done blaming? And all of a sudden, Marriage has taken a hit. All of a sudden, work, which was supposed to be such a delight, now by the sweat of our brow, we do it. And the food that was given because of sin, we ate that forbidden fruit. And all The, the teacher's right. For a great number of people, that's the best they can do. But we enjoy the gift of God to the degree that we understand deeply and desperately in our heart the wonder of the gospel, that all of these things that have been broken, Jesus has taken the curse for them because of our sin. Because of our sin, he took the curse. And when he rose from the dead, this is the ultimate in the unpredictable ending that Jesus' life didn't end in death. And he rose again and gave victory to all who would put their faith in him so that now we can enjoy these gifts the way that they were meant to be enjoyed because we understand how God wants us to enjoy them, not as an end in themselves, but as a means to enjoying and worshiping and honoring the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he promises that for us now, Here's the ultimate plot twist, that our lives, if we put our faith in Jesus Christ, don't have this predictable ending of death. But in the ultimate aha moment, he conquered death for you and me and all who would put their faith in him. And he says, this is a movie worth living in. This is a movie worth paying for. I did it so that you could have it freely, that you could enjoy the show. Let's pray together. Let's uh, take some time as we reflect on life, as we reflect on this teaching, reflect on the imperatives that the teacher has given to us, and we see them in light of the gospel. How is Jesus, how is the Father calling you to live? Have we been honoring him by celebrating life, by being good with our companions, by giving thanks to God for the blessings of life? Or have we neglected the gift of God for other things? Let's take some time if we need to uh, confess, if we need to repent to the Lord and and receive his grace again, then let's do that. And after we've done that, or if we maybe feel the need to not do that, then let's pray for ourselves. God, help me. Teach me. Show me what this means today to enjoy the show. Maybe it means being good to my parents. Maybe it means enjoying, cherishing the relationships with my friends again. Maybe it means sitting down and really enjoying my meals together with my friends or family. Not only eating the meals for the sustenance that it gives to me, but enjoying them and enjoying the fellowship around the table as well. Let's take some time to pray to the Lord and ask Him that He would help us to live life in light of His teaching today. Let's take a couple moments to go before the Lord in prayer as we respond to his word. Father in heaven, we thank you that you loved us so much that you put infinite pleasure into this world that whisper to the pleasures that will one day be in the eternal life with you. Father, we know that we've blown it because not only our forefathers, Adam and Eve, but we do it too. We take created things, we take gifts, and we make them to be more than they ought to be. We make them less than they ought to be. Father, we recognize that we've fallen short of the standards of enjoying the gifts of God. And yet we thank you that you gave Jesus Christ to be the Savior and to be the Redeemer of all that was made broken by sin. And in that redemption, you allow us to enjoy these things again. You don't just say, grin and bear it, grit your teeth until you get to heaven, and that's when enjoyment will be. But you place enough pie on our plate to know that the pie in our sky, pie in the sky, is awaiting and is real and is worth waiting for. So help us to live, help us to enjoy, help us to celebrate, help us to make the most of our days. And as we enjoy the gifts, may it give praise and glory and delight to the giver. We thank you, we love you, and we pray in Jesus' name.